0: Hello again friends, I'm Mark Stenson and you've joined our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And today our virtual around the world journey to talk to experts and practitioners in creativity takes us to Allen, Alaska, four hours away from Anchorage, Alaska. So grab your Alaska maps, try to find Allen, and have a little fun with our around the world journey. Our guest today is Alana Terry. She's a USA Today best-selling author, Alana. It's just terrific to talk with you. Thanks for being on the program.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. It's fun to chat creativity with other people. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. Copyright 2021.
0: Our guest today is USA Today best-selling author Alana Terry. As you know, listeners, we're looking for inspiration from these experts' experiences. We're going to talk about the tools and formulas and processes that Alana uses to publish her own book, and we're also going to talk about how she coaches and supports authors, like many of you, who have an idea for a book, want to get it structured, and want to get it out into the world. Alana, just a lot to cover, and just so glad to have you.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to jump in.
0: Perfect. Well, as I said, Alana is a best-selling author. Her genre is Christian suspense fiction. Her novels have won awards from the Women of Faith, Book Club Network, Grace Awards, Reader's Favorites, and a lot more. And the novels really are known for encouraging Christian readers, raising the tough questions, presenting the gospel without being preachy. And it's a, a very interesting way to share the story. Alana, tell us a little bit about how you approach Christian fiction. I'm very curious as how you create the characters and the plot lines and so forth. How do you approach Yeah,
1: Yeah, great question. There's a lot of different kind of styles of Christian fiction. Some of them turn into more like allegories or morality tales where, you know, it's kind of just what it sounds. Somebody does something wrong, they repent, they get blessed in the end. It's not really my favorite or, you know, even worse is like somebody does everything right and they get blessed for it at the end. Life doesn't work like that. And so my particular kind of bent in approaching Christian fiction is taking real characters who are facing real dilemmas and like what you mentioned, raising some pretty tough questions that some Christians have never been forced to look at in, you know, all the different lights. So I'll, I'll take certain issues and make sure that I've got characters in my books who kind of give the whole gamut of how certain Christians and non-Christians approach the issues. And the goal isn't to ever lead the um, the reader into me telling them what to believe but just to get them thinking about some of these issues and then interwoven in there are you know just the fun stories with a lot of suspense and a lot of danger and a lot of you know nail biting moments.
0: And it sounds like this is meant to be sort of real life situations people can relate to.
1: Yes, yeah, I try to keep it very realistic. I try to make sure my characters aren't you know picture perfect, Sunday school teacher tropes, because that can get kind of discouraging if, if that's all you read and nobody in the books that you read acts like you or goes through situations like you, that can be pretty discouraging.
0: You've created quite a series of these are they interrelated in any way do the characters you know go from one book to the next or do you create the individual stories how do you do
1: that no there's lots of easter eggs to the point where i'm in about 40 novels now and it's become a little unruly (laughs) because you know every book is related in some way my kids like to do this fun game with me where they'll name two characters from like two totally different books and i need to find the you know the shortest number of connections between them and usually it's just the you know, like they're all connected in some way. Some are actual series, like I've got a nine book series that follows the same main character, you know, so you get to know her, you get to know her supporting cast real well. But then there's a lot of other, like I've got an Alaska based series where. It's not the same character it's just each book is set in Alaska and you know it's all in the same kind of geographical area but again there's there's lots of Easter eggs and people who will appear in one series to another series um, my first series that I wrote was set in North Korea but there's even overlap quite a bit of overlap in some of the characters from that series so yeah like I said it's fun and the readers really like the Easter eggs that get thrown in there but from an author standpoint by the time you get to you know 40 books, And what would that probably be like, you know, 500 characters? It's a little (laughs) crazy to keep track of.
0: Yeah. Well, it's quite prolific and productive, 40 books in your catalog. Is there a process that you could share, you know, with the authors that might be listening that says, here's how you set up this thought? I mean, are you always working on one, two, five more stories? You know, how how is your process working?
1: Yeah, so how it normally looks is one being drafted, one being edited and one being prepped for publication. That's when I'm at kind of full pace. I slowed down this year um, as a lot of people did in 2020. but in general when I'm at you know peak production, it's basically I'm writing one, my editors working on one, and my assistants getting one ready to publish. and it got to the point where I, couldn't keep track very well. So I developed a system where it's basically just uh, sticky notes on my bulletin board that tell me. So basically each book goes through the exact same set of, you know, the same number of edits, the same number of back and forth with me and my editor, the same process to get published. And so I can just keep track right there on my bulletin board to know where I'm at with each book. <laughs> I realized I needed a system when I sent a manuscript to my proofreader and she had already proofread it a month previously. <laughs>
0: I love it. Yeah, you really needed to document it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, your books have quite a following in this genre. What do you attribute that to? Why Why do you feel like your novels are so attractive to these readers?
1: Hmm. You know, I think one thing that resonates with a lot of readers, they do like the exciting story. And I think that's, that's got to be foundational, whatever other, I don't want to use the word agenda, because that's kind of loaded, but whatever other goal you've got for your books, if it doesn't have a great compelling story, you know, it's probably not going to go very far. And so I think what happens is readers pick it up for the story. There's a decent word of mouth, you know, lots of reviews and things like that. So word gets around or they see ads for it or things like that. They pick it up for the story. And I think if I had to guess what they appreciate is just what we talked about, that it's it's a little different than the typical Christian fiction in that, things don't necessarily get tidied up with a bow once the main character bows their head and prays and asks God to make everything better it's a little bit of a of a tougher read and i know there are a lot of christians who are looking for something a little deeper than the the morality tales that mm-hmm. christian fiction used to just be you know the genre has matured a lot and i like to think that I've been able to kind of get a front seat to the genre, being willing to confront some of these issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's take that then to the next topic. And that was this idea that you're helping other authors be more successful. Mm-hmm. with the work. Mm-hmm. And you've created some programs, you've created a mastermind group. What sort of things do you find that authors who want to join these kinds of support systems, what are they looking for, you know, in that community?
1: A lot of people come for the marketing help. And then what we end up doing is talking a lot about the mindset kinds of things, because if you don't have the right mindset as it pertains to your creative process or your time management or even just How you feel about your books, your confidence as an artist, all of the marketing techniques are not going to be as effective. And so people usually come into my programs for authors because they want something specific. They want to learn how to run Amazon ads or they want to learn how to run Facebook ads or things like that. Similarly, you know, just like the reader's of my fiction they come for the story <laughs> but what they end up getting in addition to the story and what the the authors I train get, in addition to the marketing how-to is a lot of the mindset behind it how to get over your fear of marketing when it feels like it's something that's sleazy or how you get over some of your hang-ups of success like if I sell more books I'm going to just be more stressed out or you know whatever hang-ups people come with it's really important In each sort of level of success, I feel like it's really important to be constantly expanding your mindset so that you can achieve more and more without sabotaging yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. And I bet that they say, well, Alana, you're a personable author and colleague, but also with this success that you've had with your own books, you, you practice what you preach and I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a lot of credibility there. I know Alana, when we first connected, you had a overall 50,000 foot view of some creativity killers that mm-hmm. you've probably faced. I know I faced. Yeah. What are are a few of those obstacles and blocks that you find that authors mention uh, when you're coaching them?
1: I feel like a big one is going to be fear. That's probably the first one that any time I get asked a question would be the first one. Sometimes it's just what you would expect. I'm afraid of writing a book and wasting my time and nobody's going to buy it. Or I'm afraid of writing a book and getting bad reviews. But sometimes it's even more complicated. I'm afraid of being successful because my parents told me that you had to work in an office or work with your hands to make a living, you know? And so there's a lot of times, like we talked about these mindset issues where we can sabotage our success so You know, I don't work specifically with Christian authors, but a lot of Christian authors know my name and come into my programs. And for them, it's a lot of I'm afraid that if I become successful and start earning more money, people will see me as greedy. And, you know, you don't have to be have grown up in the church to have that fear. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of a lot of fears that some we can recognize fairly easily. I'm afraid that this book won't sell, (laughs) but some are a little bit harder to dive into. You know, I'm afraid that if I pursue my dream, and fail, it's going to, you know, prove so-and-so right when they said something mean to me 20 years ago, right? And sometimes we don't even realize that we're we're carrying some of that baggage. So I would say fear is probably the number one creativity killer. Sometimes it's even just the fear of not being perfect. So when you're at the desk writing and you've got your editor in your ear and sitting on your shoulder and telling you all the reasons why your book's terrible. (laughs) That doesn't help the creative process either. You know, another one of the creativity killers that I think of for sure can be, you know, just some jealousy issues. And sometimes we feel like if, if you and I write in the same genre and you sell a book, Like sometimes people in my situation would say, oh, how rude of you. You just stole one of my readers away. And so as if they're only going to
0: buy one book,
1: one book. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I I want my genre to have tons of great books because I can't write fast enough to give readers in my genre, you know, enough to be the only author (laughs) that's successful in that genre. So I want other authors in my genre to succeed. I want authors to remember that we're not in competition with each other. And, and even jealousy can come up too. you know, when you're at the desk, and you're writing, and you're saying things like, Oh, well, this book isn't as good as so and so's book, or sometimes, it's maybe not even jealousy, but just being a little over concerned with what everybody else is doing. So, you know, I've heard of authors who refuse to read in their genre, because they don't want to Ever be accused of stealing somebody else's idea or they don't want to be influenced by anybody Mm -hmm. else. And, you know, we're influenced by everything. There's no creative piece of art that comes from a vacuum. So, Getting over your jealousy, getting over your concern about what everybody else is doing, I think will absolutely help your creativity flourish too. It's
0: so it's so interesting, this comparing, you know, that we mm-hmm. do. Sometimes now it hasn't been as available to us in the last year with the quarantines and pandemic mm-hmm. closures and things. But just to go into a bookstore and say, Oh my gosh, look at the thousands of books here. If I sit mm-hmm. here and compare myself to all these authors,
1: <laughs> it's yeah, be a it can be afternoon. discouraging. Yeah. One thing that I heard that's great advice for when you do feel jealous, because I think any author can relate or any creative can relate when, you know, to that, to the parallel, whatever it would be for whatever artists we're talking about, of walking into the bookstore and just feeling overwhelmed and sad and why aren't my books here and you know and all of these feelings and the great advice that i've heard is when you're in that situation instead of looking at somebody else's success and feeling sorry for yourself because their success isn't yours i like to encourage other people in that situation to look at the person that they feel a little bit jealous of and realize that they've paved a way for you to get there. You know, I've got a couple friends in my genre or similar genres who have gotten film options and TV options. And that kind of like, it felt like a stab in, in the gut because I'm like, well, I, I would love that. And why not me? And so I had to work on my own mindset and realize, you know what, I want their films and their movies to be so successful because that's going to create, create demand for more similar films and movies so that the next time around, maybe I'll be the one the producer calls.
0: Such a good point that it actually fuels the demand mm-hmm. and uh, takes away the opportunity. That's such a right. great way to look at it. So, you mentioned one of the fears was, What if I am successful? Boy, you know, mm-hmm. haven't we all been through that? But, you know, is it because the, the artist thinks, Well, I'm supposed to be the starving artist in my garage? I'm not going to make any money. I just want to be creative for creative sake.
1: Right, right. That's another one of these main creativity killers is just this myth that artists need to suffer for their art. Or another way to put it that's maybe not quite as extreme, but I think even more pervasive. Is is the idea that you can either be successful creatively or you can be successful commercially, and in a lot of people's minds, there's very little overlap. And I think that that's really ridiculous. The author movement and books in general, I think it's moving away from making some of these distinctions between what's literary fiction, what's genre fiction, and what's destined to become a classic. And but you know, it's still kind of ingrained in us that you know we feel like to write a great book, we have to spend three decades on it. We have to sabotage all our relationships. We've got to drink ourselves to death because, you know, we're so consumed with this passion. But, you know, sometimes people can write a book in a weekend and it's fun and they laugh and they have a great time doing it. Like it doesn't have to be a long drawn out, terrible process. There's really no correlation between the work and the speed that you write at and the quality that comes out. You can write fast and write great. You can write fast and write terrible. You can write slow and write great. And you can write slow and write terrible. Like there's really isn't a correlation, but sometimes we feel like the serious writer is somebody who spends five years on one novel and the commercial sellout is the one who can write a book a month. And, you know, those are all myths that I I think we're doing a better job moving away from, but I think on a subconscious level, those are probably still pretty ingrained into a lot of us.
0: Mm, Makes sense. And then I also want to make sure we have time to talk about a passion project of yours where you're actually sharing some of the proceeds or donating and uh, putting your time and energy into a great cause. And that's with uh, refugees from North Korea. I wondered if you'd be willing to share a little bit about that project that you're supporting. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So like I mentioned, my, my very first series, and my first set of novels were set in North Korea and they highlighted some of the human rights abuses and some of the religious persecution going on over there. And so from my very first book, which came out in 2013, it's called The Beloved Daughter. I got in touch with an organization called Liberty in North Korea, and we've been partnering together ever since. I've done tons of different types of fundraisers. The one that's the most kind of ongoing is I have a Patreon page where once a month, the people who support my Patreon page can request one free ebook or audiobook from my catalog. And all the proceeds that we get from that go to our Liberty and North Korea fundraiser. We've raised over $20,000 so far. I was able to go to South Korea a couple of years ago where they have their Korean-based headquarters and get to meet some of the workers there and some of the refugees that they're helping to resettle. It's, it's an organization that I love being able to support. And I, I know my readers get a lot out of it as well. So in addition to the Patreon, we'll sometimes do some time-based fundraisers. So Hey guys, it's giving Tuesday, so any books, you know, you purchase today are, you know, we're going to Double those royalties and send it to Liberty in North Korea, things like that, where the readers have really started to feel a sense of community and a sense of ownership and a sense of purpose in supporting this organization together.
0: Well, it's so admirable. And almost every creative person I've talked to needs that sometimes, that foundation mm-hmm. of a purpose driven, you know, what is the point of this? And that mm-hmm. if the money is somehow an obstacle, you know, when you do get that, I don't want to be too successful mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you you say, Hey, no, it's not all for me. You know, I'm going to share some of this success with people I care about or with causes I care about. It's a great program. It sounds like $20,000 is terrific so wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's been really, really exciting. And you know, it's a small organization, I feel like we really, you know, like every so often, like right after COVID hit, things like that, I did um, a fundraiser for kind of a bigger, more well known healthcare tech thing. And it didn't have exactly the same kind of feel. I'm so glad we did it. You know, but I love that because it's a small organization, it's kind of a niche market, for lack of a better term. You know, most people, when they think about donating to charity, they say, oh, well, let's do some end of the year giving. Who do we want to give it to? Their first thought isn't, well, how about somebody who's helping North Korean refugees? Mm -hmm. You know, it feels kind of small, close knit and niche. And and that's special to me, too. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why my readers also feel so much just pride and ownership in what we've been able to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like at that level to a small organization, what an impact. Uh, exactly. At that mm-hmm. kind of level of donation makes. Right. Well, Alana, you're talking with people on this podcast who are going to have something on their plate that they're working on right now. Might be Mm -hmm. literally on their desktop or it might be, you know, out in the garage and they need to get back to it. And Uh they'll say, you know, well, in the first of the year, I'm planning to get back onto my passion project. What Mm -hmm. advice or insight from your experience motivates you to sort of jump back into the work after you've had some time off or maybe you need Mm -hmm. it away from it? But what gets you into your projects?
1: I think a huge one is like what we just talked about is remembering what you're doing it for. And it's going to be more impactful if you're doing it at least in part for something beyond just yourself. So I want to write this book because my family needs to buy groceries next month. For me, that's an okay <laughs> compelling reason, but having something beyond you because, you know, because my readers are dying to know what happens to this character or because I know that if I get this next book written, we can do another fundraiser for this organization. Just reminding yourself of why you're doing it, I think is really, really important. One thing that I think a lot of creatives don't consider as strongly as they should is who you're surrounding yourself with with. I think that's why podcasts like this are so beneficial because it's not like you're going to walk to the post office and the five people that you come across are all engaged in creative endeavors, right? We're, we're a little bit of a unique breed of people and not everybody understands the creative process. You know, not everybody gets things like, you know, writer's block or the artist's high or, you know, or when you have to stay up till 3am because you're just consumed with the passion like you talked about. So I feel like surrounding yourself and creating a tribe or a community of other artists who do get that I think is really really important and I would encourage you especially if you are trying to move from a hobbyist creative to actually you know making money and making a living I also encourage you to seek out a community of artists who don't have hangups about that, who, you know, who, if you say, Hey, guess what? I sold, I sold a lot of books this month. You don't need to give the numbers. You know, a lot of people think that's crass, but who are going to say, wow, congratulations. That's so awesome. How did you do it? As opposed to like in the back of their minds thinking, Oh, well, you know, if she's a commercial success, she's probably not that good of a writer, (laughs) you know? So I feel like keeping tabs and making it important, To have that creative support, I think is another really good option. And then the other thing that I I really encourage artists to do, which again we're not very good at, is keeping track of your physical energy. Because like I went years just thinking, okay, I'm going to write my books. Those come from my brain. Those come from my soul. And it has nothing to do with my body. It has nothing to do with whether I've gotten a good night's sleep or if I ate well this morning or if I've had too much coffee. And those things really do impact our creative output, the stamina that it takes to remain focused to write an 80,000 word novel, that's a lot of mental energy. Mm -hmm. And mental energy takes a physical toll on you. So just yeah, watching for your physical energy drains, I think is another good, good thing. You know, nobody needs to go overboard, I don't think, but just thinking about the things that leave you feeling groggy and reminding yourself that you're, you're making the decisions you make for your art. I think one of the Real mind shifts that I had in this area was listening to a podcaster for authors who said that she has decided to think about herself in the same way that a professional athlete would. And so that means she's not going to stay up and get hungover the night before she's supposed to write, you know, have a big writing day, or I gave up ice skating a few years ago. It was something I never did like figure skating, but you know, we're in Alaska, we do, you know, we go out to the lake and go on the ice. And I realized, you know what, if I, if I slip and fall and break my wrist, I'm, that's going to be bad for my art. It's going to be bad for my career. And so kind of making some of these decisions, thinking about yourself in the same way an athlete would, it really helped me shift some of my mindset and realize the importance of just taking care of myself physically in order to keep my creativity healthy. For me, it's not motivating enough to just say, I want to be healthier. But when I say I want to be healthier so that I can have a longer and better career and have more creative energy, that's motivating for me.
0: Uh, So terrific. And it's interesting, you tell the story on your website, which I want you to tell people where to find. But, you know, thinking about the readers staying up past their bedtime, if you ever need to be motivated, envision the readers staying up till 3 a.m. And so Mm -hmm. if you're Mm -hmm. writing at 3 a.m., they're going to (laughs) want to be reading at 3 a.m. That's a nice parallel.
1: That really is. Yeah. There's a little um, pithy quote that's that kind of is along those lines. It's something to do with like if you're writing a book that puts you to sleep, it's probably gonna be putting your readers to sleep. <laughs> you know, that same kind of idea.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, so love it. Well, a lot of where can people find you and your work and follow what you're doing?
1: Anybody who's interested in the fiction side, um, that's all at elanatary.com. And anybody who's interested in some of the courses and trainings for authors, that's at courses.elanatary.com. Also, the Successful Writer Podcast is a podcast that I host for writers. So if you're interested in that, we, we spend a lot of time on the marketing, but also a lot of time on the mindset, productivity, creativity, and that sort of thing.
0: It's just been so great to talk to you, Alana, and getting to know you better and your creative process and just getting to know you as a person. E- even those of you who are not watching the video, Alana's dogs are also participating in this podcast. So we're <laughs> yes, meeting yes, them vicariously <laughs> too.
1: <laughs> yes. So, well, thank you for being patient with that. <laughs> no, it's
0: great. So be sure to check out Alana and her work at alanaterry.com. Well, Alana, thanks for the interview, and thank you, listeners, for coming and by. You know, these keys that we're finding from experts and those who are actually doing the work, it's one thing to say, I read a book about creativity, and it's another to talk about people who are actually writing the work, filming it, animating it, recording it, you know, all the things that creative people are doing. So it's great to get insights from their experiences. So come back again for the next episode. We'll talk to another creative practitioner. We'll learn how they tap into their creative thinking. We'll get specific tools and processes that they use to organize ideas. And most of all, we're going to make connections and get names and websites and places to go and create those opportunities to get our creative work out into the world. So until next time, keep your creative fires burning, unlock your world of creativity. I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll talk to you soon. Unlocking your world with Mark Stinson Copyright 2021 We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get our book A World of Creativity. paperback is at a special price of $5.98 and the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to my website mark-stinson.com The book is featured on the homepage. You can click it and go to Amazon mark in stenson.com and enjoy the book.